Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. So today, Katina, you have some exciting research to share with us. Want to give us a sneak peek? Yeah, so this is a little bit of a different kind of study, I think, than we often look at. It's a qualitative study. We've talked about qualitative studies before, so based on interview data. But um, it's kind of interesting because you have to abstract kind of the practical applications out of it a little bit more, um, which we'll do. But it's basically about how people cope with the growing popularity of social media sites being used as a way that employees connect with one another and also growing expectations that employees will participate in sort of advertising events or open roles for companies and how this sort of changes access between people's personal lives and their professional lives and what this means for employees who feel that parts of their personal lives might be stigmatized at work. So if you feel like your personal life might not be acceptable in the workplace, um, how do you cope with these sort of expectations that you're going to mesh professional and personal connections through your social media? That is such an interesting topic because obviously we know that there are some things that are not appropriate in the workplace. Um, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be able to have that in your personal life. Also, we know that being authentic is really important to wellness. So there's kind of like a layer here of authenticity too, right? So if you have to hide who you are, not just at work, but also in your personal life, I can't even imagine the toll that would take on a person. And then in addition to that, um, there's this idea that we talked about before is integrators versus segmenters. So people that like are okay with some overlap in what they, in terms of doing work and their personal lives um, versus people that want to really have a clear like nine to five. And then after five, I'm free. I don't think about work. And this feels like there's some overlap conceptually with some of this too. So that's kind of interesting. It's an interesting topic. So I can't wait to hear about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's something that really is a practical problem that people are facing. Like your coworker is friend requesting you on a social media platform and you're wondering what to do mm -hmm. <laughs> because there may be some things that you don't really want people at work to know and you're not sure how to handle those, what they're calling collapse of uh, uh, sort of arenas where your work life and your home life are collapsed into one. And they're seeing social media platforms as increasingly being these areas of collapse. So yes, I'm excited to talk about it and to share more. Um, before we jump in, just real quick, how are you today? What's going on in your life? Well, as you know, Thanksgiving just happened. So yes. that was fun. We were in Florida um, visiting my in-laws and... It was good. It was nice weather, probably about the same as it was here. It was actually kind of cool for Florida. Um, and we had a really good turkey dinner, of course, as always. And then we actually also celebrated um, my mother-in-law's birthday on Sunday with a little, like a small surprise party. Nice. Um, which was really fun. She is hard to surprise and she was so surprised. So that was really funny. Like her face when she walked in, it was just like <laughs> priceless. Um, because like it was at this little teeny tiny Italian restaurant and they just had like, um, the, the restaurant isn't open on Sundays, 
but they open up for private events. So we had um, like some of their closest friends in, in the area and a couple cousins there. And then us obviously were there. Um, and she just didn't realize the restaurant wasn't closed on Sunday. So she thought we were just going to dinner and we have to take two cars. Cause with all of us there, like we can't drive in one car. So a bunch of us went like Danny, myself and his sister went early um, to like, you know, make sure everything was set. And she just had no idea. She was just it was like, Oh, we just have to get gas. Totally thought we were just going to dinner and then walked in and was really like confused because the restaurant just looked busy, but it was all people she knows. So she was like, <laughs> you know, like the word surprise didn't connect right away with her. She was just looking around like, wait, I know all the people at all these tables. What's happening? Oh, it's so cute. <laughs> it That's was really awesome. cute. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. So it was a good little trip, a good little getaway. How about you? How was your Thanksgiving? It was good. Um, we were in uh, Philly area. Uh, we went to Brendan's family for Thanksgiving, which was really nice. And then um, my cousin Seamus, who is a the son of a big fan of the show, my Aunt Barb, who we've talked about several times, um, he and his now wife, Ange, got married, uh, which is so exciting. It was such a beautiful day and beautiful wedding and the speeches and everything was just like so wonderful and heartfelt and they're just like the nicest people in the world. And so it was really exciting. I had a great time, um, really fun to get together with everybody and dance and um, just like live it up. So we had a great weekend. Nice. Um, yeah, yeah. So it was super awesome. I feel like um, it was definitely a nice little break from things and feeling feeling good about heading into the even though it's like crazy like heading into the holiday season I mean it's I know it's a little bonkers but I am I am feeling like nice and festive and happy <laughs> yeah I can't believe that it's already the holiday season it's I know. really really bonkers but it's crazy you're also in New Jersey right now right like aren't you not even home yes. when you're supposed to be home yes I'm not home um so I am recording actually with my not with my microphone. So I hope that I sound okay to all of you out there. And, uh, but I, uh, and the reason is because I wasn't supposed to be here, but I ended up being here for a little longer. So yes, we are, um, in the area until like the end of the week now. So spending a little more time with family, um, and seeing some friends and yeah, it's all good. So, uh, other than my little technological, hopefully not difficulty, um, uh, it's all, it's all good to go. And then we'll be around for the next couple of weekends and then we go on vacation and then it's like Christmas and it's all just like, ah, so it's all trying happening. to take like a little pause. <laughs> yes. It's all happening. Well, it's I happening. am excited for the holiday season. I'm glad you had a nice long weekend and yeah, now we can talk about social media and yes, the challenges and that come with it. I guess. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, many of you may be posting to social media over the holidays, perhaps, uh, and thinking about uh, sort of what sort of posts to put up if you're friends with uh, colleagues, as well as personal acquaintances online. And part of the reason why I thought that this was a really interesting article was because, as I mentioned before, um, it represents this like very practical problem. I think that some of us have faced where you get friended maybe by someone who's senior to you on uh, social media or even by a peer. And you're thinking, 
okay, what does this mean for what I share online? And I think that's kind of a practical problem that we all face and it gets exacerbated when people are facing stigma. So I saw the title of it, which is Losing Control, the Uncertain Management of Concealable Stigmas When Work and Social Media Collide. And I thought that was an interesting title. Uh, It was Mm -hmm. just published, like literally just came out like a day ago in Academy Management Journal. And it's by Laureano and Quachi. And I just thought it looked really interesting. And then I read through it. And it's, again, like a little bit of a more uh, storytelling elements in this paper because it's not our traditional, like, they did a survey and this is what the data say and uh, these things are correlated or this is what the model says. It's a little bit more of a... um, It's based on interviews, so it's a little bit more of like an evolving tale, right? But um, I think there's some interesting takeaways buried in here that I'm excited to talk about. Yeah, I am really curious to hear more about it. And it's exciting that people are talking about this because I do feel like there's a lot of stories of people that are like, you know, I didn't get a job because of something on social media or Mm -hmm. some people that have been fired from jobs because of social media. And then now like also the relationship piece, like you're saying... I know people that literally will say I will not be friends with someone at the place that I work currently and they make like a rule about it. And then I also know people that just add everybody they know. Um, So there's such a weird spectrum of how people approach it. Um, So I'm really curious to see what the research has to say about it. Yeah. So um, just to give a little bit of background, because I know the title mentioned concealable stigma. So there are different types of identities in the workplace, and we've talked about stigma on the show and podcast before, um, or in the blog before, um, that, you know, people associate sort of negative stereotypes with. And so when you're associated with a negative stereotype or your identity is associated with a negative stereotype, you face stigma in the workplace, and that can result in bias or discrimination. And uh, people have different kinds of stigmas or different kinds of identities that can be stigmatized. And some of them are easier to hide than others. And so particularly for sexual orientation, which is what this article is based around as a concealable stigma, um, you have to choose to reveal that information to people in the workplace. And this is why the idea of coming out or disclosing identity is such a big deal within LGBT populations, because this is something that, um, you know, needs to be told to people. You can't see it on the surface. And so, um, Often what people will do, especially if they're in workplaces where they feel like there's heightened stigma against uh, LGB, and in this instance, they're talking about gay men specifically um, in the workplace. If there's uh, heightened stigma against folks with your identity in the workplace, you may be more likely to try to conceal at work, but it's less likely that you'll be concealed to everybody in your life. So often what happens is when people are in workplaces where there's more bias or discrimination or stigma, They might be closed about their identity out in the workplace, but out about their identity at home. And this creates like this disconnect between what friends and family know and what coworkers know. And Mm -hmm. while that's not always the case, um, there may be even continuas of these like disconnects, right? So um, people may be out in both places, but they might be much more 
forthcoming with information about their partner, for example, if they're partnered, or they might be much more forthcoming about um, their social life if they are involved in, um, you know, clubs or groups that revolve around their identity or activist work around their identity. Um, they might be open about that with friends and family, but maybe not as forthcoming with folks at work. So there are often these like um, differences between how people portray themselves in the workplace and how people portray themselves at home that on social media, when these folks start to commingle um, and these contexts are sort of collapsed, we don't know a lot about how people manage those disconnects when there's sort of no choice but to choose a consistent front in front of these groups of folks. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point because there's things that, I mean, I know this is a very specific population that they're using in this study, but like I think everyone can think about things that they might post on social media for their family and friends they wouldn't necessarily want colleagues mm-hmm. to be aware of, right? Or just yeah. don't feel like that's something you would share in that type of setting very often. So yeah. I think it's very relevant and probably everyone can relate to some degree. And then obviously there's additional layers if the identity is something that there's um, a real stigma around versus just like, I don't want to post bikini pictures in my workplace or something right. like that, right? Exactly. Yep. Yes, exactly. Um, and so they they talk about how organizations have sort of like increasingly, and I think that's a great point that it's like broader than what they're talking about in this article that maybe uh, folks listening can relate themselves, even if they don't hold the identity of the participants in this study. They talk about how like we've sort of had this like creep in society towards context collapse. Um, that people haven't really thought about what it means for employees as they're starting to mix their personal and professional lives, that it's just sort of happened, that social media has become more popular. It's become a popular way of advertising things about companies. And so there's become this like growing sort of just expectation that employees are going to be on social media, that they're going to be friends with other employees on social media, that they might be friends with their boss on social media, that their bosses might ask them to actually like, hey, we're, you know, having this like open house event or we are, um, you know, uh, trying to recruit people, post it to your friend network or, um, you know, we're trying to get people together for a work happy hour, share it on your Facebook page, you know, whatever it might be that there's sort of just been this like, a lack of consciousness around what that might mean for people. And so yeah. there hasn't been a lot of focus on what are the implications of that. And certainly research hasn't looked at that. Um, and so um, there's like these different ways that um, people might think about this. So it could be, you know, where um, people are finding this helpful Like, oh, it's useful for me to be able to communicate with everyone that I know in one place. And I like the idea that this is convenient to me and I can reach a broader audience and um, I feel like that's fine. But there's also times where these can collide where you really didn't want these combined or you haven't thought about what the complications of that might be. And now you're sort of in this like more chaotic situation that's unexpected and unintentional, but you feel like maybe you can't get out of it or you don't know what the consequences of declining that friend request from your colleague might look like, right? Um, So this idea of like these collisions that can happen that are out of the blue or not planned that have these like unintended consequences is something that 
we haven't really thought about and that this study's diving deeper into. I actually think there's also the, as you were talking about this, I was like, there's probably the reverse also. Like, there might be things about your work life that you don't really care to share with your personal life. And there could even be things like, I'm working for a company like it's a job but to me it's not a career and I don't actually believe in this company it might be counter some things about the company might be counter to my beliefs and I don't want to talk about it mm-hmm. or advertise it or have people think about that in my personal life as much either so there's pro- yeah. there's probably like some weird things that could be going on on that front as I know that's not the study but like I was just thinking yeah. through it like there's I'm sure that there's that too like especially if you feel pressured from like your boss to post something and then you have to post this thing and like then you're walking around like an advertisement for the company that you don't want to be a part of your personal life. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I think that there's I mean this is just like the first time I ever saw any study even taking any of this into consideration. Yeah. So, I think it's really interesting all the different like branches of how this could apply because um certainly I think it's applicable to the context that they're thinking about, but like you're saying, there may be things that you don't really feel like sharing about your work with friends and family. And there might be stuff about your personal life that you don't feel like sharing about work, even beyond what this study's focused on. So um, some of this may be more broadly applicable. Um, so I'll just tell you a little bit about the study. Um, so they looked at employees in a specific company that they're calling Global Car, which is a multinational car manufacturer. It's one of the biggest uh, companies in the country, in its country, and it's in uh, South America. Um, it has uh, lots of subunits and factories nationwide, um, lots of different, uh, lots of uh, a large employee base. And they were interested specifically in this context because there is um, still a lot of bias and discrimination um, in the country context against gay employees. But also they were interested because the man- the car manufacturing industry is more traditionally, uh, you know, uh, uh, sort of male-dominated and less open to um, various forms of diversity. And so they found like this, they thought that this was a context where they could specifically look at how people might manage this in a variety of different ways because it's not a given that people will be open towards their identity on social media. Um, They used a bunch of different data. Um, So one of the authors was actually an employee there for five years um, and had a lot of access to managers and peers and things like that. Um, And so they uh, not only did they have sort of the historical information from being an employee there, but they also spent 500 hours observing participants there, uh, trying to understand um, how social media was being kind of rolled out, how people were like how people were using social media, some of the concerns that people had around social media. Um, And they also uh, interviewed um, a bunch of employees while they were there. who they uh, knew through informal conversations and through like networks um, of employees that they found out identified as gay males. Um, And so they conducted 20 interviews in addition to uh, doing these observations about how people are feeling as this like social media creep um, started happening within this company. Um, And so this is sort of the context uh, that they were within trying to understand how people are dealing with uh, this greater expectation that was occurring within the company that people were friending each other, um, that they were, um, you know, being asked to sort of um, promote the company online, open roles, like I was saying. And so they were sort of watching this unfold in real time, but also using these like in-depth 
interviews with folks to understand what they were doing to cope with that themselves. I love it. I love this kind of research, right? It's really interesting because you can get in a lot of depth in the interviews, but there's also something really unique about a researcher sitting in a a situation and watching it unfold that can really give us a lot, especially in a topic area that's new. So it's like very important in these types of contexts because like you said, this is the first study you've seen like this. There's so much to unpack. Where do we even start? And having this process and this approach to it we can really learn a lot fairly quickly to know where we can hone in and get more and more detailed research in the future yeah totally I agree um so so let me tell you a little bit a bit about what they found because there's kind of a lot here um yeah so one thing to just sort of like highlight is that they found that these collisions were happening between personal life and professional life pretty frequently at work on social media and they were happening in kind of two ways One that they're calling bottom-up collisions, which is all of a sudden I get friended by a colleague and now I have to decide whether or not I'm going to accept this person's friendship and now they're privy to information about me that I didn't know that they would be privy to. Um, So one of the um, uh, vignettes that they use uh, in this uh, particular context is talking about this uh, gay employee who had come up with a fake um, straight relationship to hide his sexual orientation from his colleagues. And so he had been talking about this like fake relationship with his colleagues for a while. And now it was becoming more more popular for people in his workplace to friend him on Facebook or follow him on Instagram. And all of a sudden it created this collision of what do I do? Because if I friend folks, they're gonna know that I've made this up. But if I don't friend them, they're gonna be upset. And this person recounts a story that someone friended him and he decided not to friend her. And then um, she basically was mad and kind of confronted him at work about it. And he was doing it not because he didn't want to be friends with her, but because he was afraid of the personal information that would be revealed through that. Um, So that's kind of like the bottom up piece. And then there was also top down pieces, which was an expectation that employees would use social media for work purposes, but with very unclear guidelines on how they were supposed to do that or why they were supposed to do that. So the vignette there is something like um, the organization was asking them to publicize sustainability efforts that they were doing. And uh, their manager was asking them to share their posts about sustainability, comment on posts, um, post to their personal accounts, try to reshare information as they were sharing it on their accounts. And so, um, you know, basically asking people to become engaged with the company through their social media, either linking themselves to the company by commenting on the posts, by saying, like, I'm so excited to work for a company that's doing this, or actually sharing information to their personal pages about the company as ways of, like, publicizing initiatives that the company was engaging in. That's, yeah, I mean, both those things make sense, like, as a distinct difference between the way that these two spheres are colliding um it's so i don't know i i don't appreciate the idea of a company kind of asking people to do this but right that's neither here nor there (laughs) right now yeah yeah and so what they found was that people were perceiving this as a collision that um they Mm -hmm. found that they use these social media networks to express themselves more freely than they did at work 
they felt that at work they had they were facing pressures to behave in a particular way, um, that they needed to behave in alignment with this more masculinized culture that they were in. And so because they had sort of chosen to use their social media previously as a place where they could be more themselves than in the workplace, as these things were happening, it was feeling more like a, a creeping of, okay, what do we do? So that's kind of the problem. Um, and what they found is that when people were trying to um, figure out how to be professional, but also have their personal lives on social media represented in an authentic way, they did sort of three different strategies, um, which I'm going to talk through. And then we can kind of talk through what we think the well-being implications of each of these may be based on the past literature that we're aware of. Um, so there were three. One was called mirroring. The other was called online destigmatization. And the other was called collapse denial. So I'll start with mirroring. This is actually the main thing that people did. Um, and this was that people tried to replicate the level of disclosure that they had at work on social media. So mm -hmm. basically, if they were out with everybody at work, they tended to be authentic and be out with everybody on social media. But if they didn't talk about it with colleagues, they would change their social media behavior so that it would start to become more the same as their workplace. So if they weren't out about it with colleagues on social media, they would become the same. Um, if they weren't hiding it from people, but they just weren't explicit about it, they might have it be clear that if you rooted through their pictures, for example, you might realize that they're gay, but they might not post as much as they normally would have on their profession on their personal pages because now they're aware that it's more professional. And so what happened was they sort of tended to creep towards um, making their personal social media pages more like professional pages. If they wouldn't share it at work, they wouldn't share it there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that I, that makes a lot of sense. Like it seems. Like I was saying before, like you're now not able to be authentic everywhere or in a different situation because you want to align with what people are seeing elsewhere. I think um, it's interesting that you said kind of the, well, people could maybe sort through some pictures, but I wonder if some people that are really like not out and very concerned about it, if they actually were like going through and deleting things from the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's interesting that you say that because they do have some quotes here about people either deleting pictures or um, making uh, some posts not um, open to all of their connections. Mm -hmm. So uh, people were saying like, you know, I when I'm out of the workplace, I wear my hair differently. I wear more extravagant clothing. Like I don't express myself um, the same way that I do in the workplace. And so I went through and I hid all those pictures of me looking like that um, once I realized that people at work would see it. So instead of going in the direction of I'm going to be more authentic with my coworkers, a common strategy was whatever level of authenticity I am with my coworkers now at work is now the level of authenticity that I am with everybody on social media. Interesting. I wonder, um, yeah, I wonder if there's, there's a lot of layers that I know this is like I said where future research will have to go but I wonder mm -hmm. if there's like a cultural component not just I mean country culture but also um workplace culture because like you were saying this workplace culture is maybe a little more traditional so I wonder if like they were at a different place where maybe they weren't as open but then social media 
kind of crept into the a more open work environment, even if they're not as open, maybe they started, they would start shifting the other direction. Like, mm-hmm. I wonder if that ever happens, but that's a question for another day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they did find that some people um, slowly started to change their behavior on change what they were revealing on social media, but then they started to also change a little bit what they were doing in the workplace. So like, um, it was sort of like they realized that they needed consistency. So while a major Mm -hmm. strategy was like, well, let me just change my social media to mesh with whatever I've been at work. There were some people that like might've used that strategy initially and then slowly started to reveal more about themselves online, but they always kind of kept it the same as work. So like if they were going to start to reveal more about themselves online, they would then make the decision that they would also reveal those things in the workplace. So mm-hmm. they were trying to maintain some consistency. Um, but it wasn't just like, well, now that people are friends with me online, I guess that they know everything about me. And so they're just going to jump in the pool in the deep end. And now I'm just going to like become open in that way in the workplace. It was like mm-hmm. this like contracting to make their their personal profiles look more professional and either like keeping it that way or if there was a slow growth towards revealing, it was like, okay, it's not going to be, it's it's going to be a slow introduction of other elements of myself in a way that I would feel comfortable incorporating it. Yeah, like a measured transition. Exactly, exactly. Um, so that's, uh, that's sort of the mirroring strategy. Um, and so people were sort of either reproducing these professional pieces of themselves on um, social media or like trying to maintain a safe space on social media and in the workplace by like slowly wading into the pool right um so mm-hmm. that's kind of the that's kind of the pieces um that came from this like mirroring um another um uh thing that folks did was try to move beyond mirroring and actually used social media as a strategic tool to destigmatize their sexuality and to show that being professional and being gay are not at odds with each other. Um, And so uh, they basically put a lot of efforts into their online posts and interactions um, to try to like push further to advocate against stigma to create educational posts on Facebook or Instagram or whatever about um, stigma related topics. So like talking more about like um, bias or discrimination that gay people face in society, um, being more involved in activist causes um, to try to actually say like, okay, well, maybe I'm now friends with people on here who don't know this about me. And perhaps a way of going, of going with this is to try to actually educate people so use this as a platform so that people might come on here and say well I didn't know this about this person I don't like this about this person but perhaps over time I can influence their attitudes by like leaning even harder into this right um and so this is another um strategy it was much less frequently used um than uh the mirroring strategies Um, But this strategy was one way that employees tried to actually say, well, maybe I can actually use this context to influence my coworkers and my environment. That is a fascinating way to go. And I mean, I think it makes sense, right? Because we know that social media influences people and seeing articles your friends and family post, like you 
read them or at least kind of skim through the the headlines so you get some you absorb some of that information whether or not that changes your mind is a different story but that is a really fascinating take and I can yeah I imagine it's a much smaller population and it takes a certain level of courage to do that um but I would not have expected it to come out as like a top theme so that's cool yeah yeah so that was kind of interesting so some people leaned really hard into it and then the last one was what they're basically calling collapse denial like people accept from requests or do these things on social media and just don't think about what the implications would be Mm -hmm. This seemed to cause problems for people, um, although they don't (laughs) talk about, like, what are the outcomes associated with the strategies. Um, This did seem to cause problems for people because um, they just didn't try to change anything about their professional behavior or their personal behavior. But sometimes it became clear to their colleagues that who they were personally was not aligned with who they were at work. And it created um, sometimes sharing of information that colleagues did stigmatize and did show bias towards and employees didn't kind of do anything to sort of anticipate that and Mm -hmm. so they just sort of said like okay I guess I'll accept these friend requests or okay I guess I'll do this and they collapse things without being intentional about well what does this mean for me and they Mm -hmm. often bore the brunt of having coworkers react to what they saw in a way that was not positive so it doesn't seem that that was a um, a strategy that helped them to maintain work relationships um, in a way that was more positive. Interesting. Yeah, I could see that denying an issue or potential problems or even recognizing and thinking through that would be difficult, right? If people are paying any attention to what you're posting they'll see that disconnect right away. And because you were not open about some of those things before, it might actually, I wonder if it would actually like increase people's reaction, right? Because it's like, well, you're hiding this. So clearly it is bad, right? Or something, something like that. Like, you know, people think weird things when these types of situations occur. So I could see it making things even a little bit worse. Yep. Um, so that's really, really fascinating, though, that I mean, I could see it why you would do that. I just don't even think twice, like, oh, whatever, just move on. Um, I really hope the person with a fake relationship didn't do that because that would be a very clear yeah. problem. That's not what they yeah, that that person actually, I think they said um, was one of the people that like tried to block information from mm-hmm. folks online. But um, but yeah, so I think that um one of the one of the things that so the paper basically shows that this is a problem and that people cope with this in different ways. Um, one of the things I didn't like about the paper was it doesn't really make any claims about what happens next, right? So which yeah. strategies are good for you, which strategies are not. But knowing what we know about the literature, I kind of pulled some thoughts together. Um, and the first is that the mirroring strategy seems to perhaps create some strains around authenticity, right? So like your whole life becomes sort of your work persona. And if your work persona is not authentic, now you're becoming not only inauthentic at work, but you're also becoming more inauthentic in your personal life. And so the mirroring strategy towards kind of being more professional in every domain seems like it might get exhausting over time. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And folks who sort of slowly integrated might have better outcomes But um, it seems like that strategy might end up being 
kind of tiring over time because you're becoming inauthentic more and with more people. Um, the activist one seems kind of promising, right? In the sense that folks seem to feel like they were having an influence over their workplace and they were using their profiles as an educational tool. So in some ways that might be empowering. That might also have some other implications, like people might get tired of educating people or they might face some backlash for some of the posts. They might also face some unexpected support um, that they get from coworkers. Seems a little bit better than the mirroring strategy because at least it's being more authentic with people than less in both domains. Um, and you may have more opportunity for positive progress. And of course, the collapse denial seems the most negative because it's just not strategic at all. And you're sort of opening yourself up to problems that you're not anticipating, very chaotic, could have a lot of unintended consequences. Um, so I think that's kind of the wellness link. But um, of course, the big recommendation would be to create environments where people are not stigmatized. And we've talked about that before. But in absence of that, it seems like we need more research on which of these strategies would be better. But I would bet that that activist strategy would probably be out of these three, although there could be better strategies and creating less stigma is more positive. Seems like based on what we know from the literature could be the best from a wellness perspective. Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, I think early on I was saying I wonder about the authenticity piece and I I agree that when you get into the mirroring side of things you're going to start reducing your authenticity we know authenticity is important at work so already you're not authentic at work and that can be challenging for you and exhausting and then now if you're introducing that lack of authenticity elsewhere you're just going to continue to pile on the, the stressors that come with that um, so I think that is probably not great. And I do wonder though, if we compared that compared to the people that like scale back for a minute and then slowly unveil, mm -hmm. if that actually, to me, I wonder if that actually would be close to the top in the end, because mm -hmm. now you're authentic in both realms. Right. Um, at the, but you know, that takes time. So during that time when you're not authentic, is that, does that outweigh the positives later on? I don't know. Um, then the activist piece is, I think it would be positive. I agree with you. There could be some potential backlash and things like that. And like arguments that it could cause mm -hmm. online, which we know is ooh, not great. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious about that one because as we were talking about earlier, like I think in this very specific context and in general, when we're talking about stigma, so like anything about your identity that might be stigmatized, um, this is super relevant, but I wonder about kind of, broadly things that you just don't want your coworkers to see there's not really an authentic approach you know right. to activism when it's like just something like I really like to post a lot of pictures of my pajamas and I don't want to <laughs> show mm -hmm. my colleagues yeah. my pajamas I don't know something weird. right right but like that so that um this is why it'd be really interesting to see this expanded. Like how does this play out with other stigmatized populations? Then how does it play out with, you know, the general population? Like, I think there's something interesting there because I bet there's maybe another tactic or two that would come out if it was not just about, um, identity in a stigmatized way. Like I'm curious about right. what other tactics exist in, and maybe other stigmatized groups approach it differently, right? Because maybe my my identity that is stigmatized is not something I can conceal. And 
I'm worried about now, like there could be a, a flipped effect, right? So like, let's just say I'm a black employee and I usually post a ton of things about black lives matter, mm-hmm. but my environment isn't really supportive of that. Right. Am I now going to do that less? Or if I continue right. to do that, is that going to create problems? Like there could be actually a different kind of backlash to the activism piece when it's yeah. not a concealed identity too. So there's, I feel like there's a lot of interesting nuance in that second yeah. bucket that would not be impacted with just looking at one population. Yeah, um, I totally agree. And I think that the, I'm like excited to see what else comes from this because I think it's really yeah. important. Um but I, I would say the main takeaway, even though we don't know for sure what the wellness-related outcomes are of these different strategies, is that people find this stressful, right? That this is like when you're asking employees to collapse across social and professional lives um, in social media platforms, they find it stressful. And being more conscious about what you're asking employees to do online and really thinking about the environment that you have in the workplace before you're asking people to engage in those things and taking efforts to destigmatize um, various identities and diversity, equity, inclusion training, and all those sorts of things that are helpful um, before you're asking people to really mesh these personal lives and being thoughtful about that could be really helpful for wellness because while we haven't really thought about it much before from a research perspective, it seems like people are taking a lot of pause as they're trying to figure out how to handle this because it could have these bad consequences. Yeah, I completely agree. I think the the basic takeaway that every organization should just can leave with right away is don't ask your employees, don't do the top down stuff. Do not ask your employees to post stuff on social media. Um, there, I think there, it's okay to say like, if you want to on LinkedIn, there's these links or whatever. And LinkedIn maybe is the exception here because most people aren't posting personal stuff. Um, not always though. Some people really are. So I don't think it should ever be mandatory. Um, if you do want people to promote, if they're interested in promoting, it should be available to them, but it no, by no means mandatory, by no means something that you ever really look at, you know, that kind of approach I think is appropriate. And then, um, I do think that colleagues need to be aware that sometimes if someone doesn't accept your friend request, it is not personal. It might Mm -hmm. just be that they want to keep a boundary And I think as an employee, like, you can think through what boundaries do you have? Do you not want to include people on your social media? And if that's the case, then there's your talk track. I don't add anyone in the current place that I work. I will keep your friend request in the inbox one day when we're not working together. Maybe I will accept it. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, That way you can like, if you create a very strict boundary, it makes it a little bit easier, I think, to then tell people like, oh no, it's not because I don't want to be friends with you. You obviously are the exception to this rule. I love you, (laughs) but this is my rule and that's, I have to stick to it. (laughs) Right. Yeah, totally. And, and we talk about the importance of creating those boundaries anyway. So it could be a strategy to use here too, um, in the meantime. So I definitely agree with you and think that companies should think a little harder about this because it's obviously creating these collisions that we hadn't thought about. And in the meantime, as employees are waiting, they might deploy some strategies, like you're saying, creating those boundaries, or maybe one of these strategies sounds appealing. Um, But uh, we should try to do better before we ask employees to do these things too, or expect that it'll just be, that it'll just happen. Exactly. 100% 100% agree. I appreciate you sharing this. This is so fascinating. Like, I I cannot wait to see where this research goes. Yeah, me too. Well, 
all of our listeners out there, I'm sure you've experienced some of this yourself. Um, this is obviously a very common issue and concern. So if you want to share any thoughts, feedback, uh, questions about the research, things that you've been thinking about, we'd love to chat with you. You can find us on our website, workerbeing.com. You can email us at contact at workerbeing.com. You can also find us on social media at workerbeing on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter on social media, like we were just saying, <laughs> our our uh, <laughs> our work lives are definitely colliding yeah. <laughs> on social media all the time. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so you can find us there. And then uh, you can also find us on our YouTube channel, which is also at Worker Being. Thanks for listening. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabarek and Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. Oh.